Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. church. Uh, we also serve on the altar team, uh, greeter team, and kids check-in. So with that being said, I'll be reading from Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Please stand for the reading of the word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who hold, holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you first had. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and I also hate he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Dear Jesus, right now we lift you up, Lord. We thank you for this place to come worship you, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross and shedding your blood for, our, for each of us. Lord, today I pray that everyone can remember their first love, the first time they met you the first time they turn their lives over to you, Lord Jesus. Let each of us remember that, Lord, and repent. Let us repent and we and go forward and do the things we did when we first began loving you. Lord, you are such a good, good God. We love you. You're so full of grace and mercy. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Scott. Before I get into the word this morning, I uh, want to bring your attention to a couple things. So after church, well, after not, not after, during service, toward the end, we'll be doing a baptism today. So super excited about that. I uh, have three more next week as well. So it's like God keeps doing stuff, right? So it's awesome. Um, and so also we have raffle tickets that we're doing for kids camp. We're going to be doing that at the end of uh, service as well. 
Um, and so thank you so much for helping our kids go to camp. Uh, we send kids to camp every year, and it's just amazing to see what God does in them. So thank you for supporting that as well. Hey, also, uh, if it's been your first time here or you've been here for a while, we'd love to get to know you a little better. And so in front of you, I just want to bring your attention to the QR code in front of you. Uh, you can scan that, and it's going to bring a couple options up there. One is called Connect. We'd love to connect with you. Just click on that, fill that out for us. And we're going to send you a gift in the mail just for saying thank you uh, for doing that. And we want to pray with you, get you more information about the church as well. Now, during service, we don't take up an offering. But if you feel led to give, there is some boxes in the back. You can do that as well. Or on that QR code, guess what? There's a giving link on there. So uh, the QR code's uh, kind of where you're at today. And so just want to bring your attention to that. Um, so before I get in, I just want to say thank you to the crew that helped out with the funeral yesterday. Y'all were amazing. I mean, there was an army there. You, you, you all don't know what was going on, but I do. Thank you for that. That is showing the love of the church. And so thank you for that as well. So are you ready to get in the Word? Okay. So open your Bibles. Revelation 1. Uh, Revelation 2, sorry. Shouldn't be too hard. It's the very end of the back of the book. If you get to your maps, you went too far, turn, go back to your Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. So we are diving in this week to the seven letters of the churches. Uh, we will be in these letters for a little while, at least seven weeks, even up to Easter. So we'll be in this in Easter, which is kind of weird, but it's good. This is where we need to be. I feel like God needs us, wants us to be here and land this on Easter Sunday. Um, and so today we're talking about the church in Ephesus. So the first letter was written to this church, and we talked about the mail route last week. So if you missed any of these messages, you can go back and listen online as well, or you can catch it on our website, YouTube, all the places, right? So um, you can do that as well. So we're actually sending the letters out. The first letter is going to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus uh, was planted by Paul, the apostle. And in, during that time, he, 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 he went in and he built a strong community there, a strong church there. And in that community of believers, you may know Timothy uh, was the book of Timothy. He was actually one of the, the elders of that church and led that church for a little while. And it's even uh, thought that John himself, the one who wrote Revelation, was also a leader of that church in Ephesus. So Ephesus was a very important city. Uh, a very vital city in the early church. And, uh, and so it's no accident that the letter goes to them first. This is also along that mail route. And so we're going to talk about that as well. So we're going to break this passage down uh, together. We're going to go verse by verse because I think it speaks something to us today. Like I said last year, I mean last year, <laughs> it was, felt like last year. Like I said last week was um, this letter was to them. It's specifically to the Ephesian church to that time period, but it's also for us. So we can learn from the word of God. We can learn from scripture because it's for us, even though it's to them. So we can understand where the context is as we dive into Revelation and we see some of the odd uh, imagery and some of the odd things that are in there. We can understand it better if we understand the culture at the time. So it's for them. It's to them, but it's for us. And so ready or not, here we go into Ephesians. So he says this, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. So last week, we discovered what this was, what the, what the lampstands were and what the stars were. So what were the stars? Angels. Okay. So what, what angels? We talked about maybe it's celestial angels, maybe it's actual angels, but also it's thought that these were actually the church elders of the church. Uh, either way, it brings comfort because 
we know that we may have a guardian angel that's watching over the church, that, that's, that's communicating between God and us, but also we are held in his hands for those that leave the church, for those that are in the church, that Jesus holds us in his hands. So it brings comfort either way. And then what were the lampstands? The churches. Very good. You listen. Very good. Keep making notes. All right. Get an A plus today. So it's the, the lampstands are the churches. And so he says, I'm, I'm reminding you where this letter is coming from. It's coming from Jesus, the one who walks among the lampstands, the one who holds the stars in his right hand. And then he says this, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So Jesus is telling the church there, I see your works. Last week, we talked about Jesus's eyes being like fire. He sees all things. There's nothing hidden from his gaze. In him, there is no darkness. It is only light. So he sees everything for what it is. And he's commending the church here in Ephesus. I see your good works. I see what you're doing. I know your toil. I know your patient endurance. Does that sound familiar from last week where John said, I'm a, I'm a partner with you in your patient endurance. This church was going through a lot of persecution at this time. There was a lot of people that did not like believers at that time. And so we, even in this time, can take some comfort in that, that we don't suffer alone, that we are to patiently endure together. John is telling them and Jesus is telling them, I see your patient endurance. I see what you're going through how you cannot bear those who are evil, but tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. The Ephesian church, like I said, was founded by Paul. And so Paul told them the importance of making sure your doctrine is sound, making sure your theology is solid so you will not be led astray. In fact, Paul himself uh, talks to the Ephesian church in Acts and the writer of Acts, Luke, writes down the words of Paul as he's about to leave the church in Ephesus and go to Jerusalem. Paul's word, last words to the Ephesian church were this in Acts chapter 20, verse 26 through 31. Paul writes to them and says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. So the Ephesian church was very special to Paul, and he was reminding them that when I leave, it's going to open the door for these apostles, these false apostles, these false teachers that come in and try to separate the flock, try to teach them falsehood, try to go against the whole gospel, which is Jesus Christ, right? The whole gospel that you're saved by faith and faith alone. It's not by works. It's not by any other thing. But these other people would come and these other apostles would come in and claim that they have this uh, a second grace or, a, or, a, or, or you have to add something to this Jesus, that Jesus isn't enough. And so he's reminding them, be careful. These people are like wolves. They will come in and destroy the flock. And so this church was solid in their theology. They were solid in their doctrine. They did everything right. They did all the good things. Like, I want to be a part of this church because these guys know the truth. They stand firm on the truth. They, they, they do all the right things. But then Jesus says, but there is one thing that is not good. 
one thing that, that, that is not good. I, he, goes, he goes on to say, I know how you've endured patiently, bearing up for my name's sake and not grown weary, but I have this one thing against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, or first love. Other translations say first love. So Jesus is commending the church. You're doing a great job, church. You got it all together. You got great programs. Like your ministry is solid. You're sending people out. You're planning other churches. You're sending other, you're sending disciples out. You're sending evangelists out. Like this is the hub of the Christian world at that time in Ephesus. It was on a, it was on a, it was a port city. And so people would come into Ephesus all the time. And a little backstory on Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship or Diana worship. And in that city was one of the seven wonders of the world, which was Artemis, was, which was this temple to Artemis, this huge temple. And in that temple, they would do horrible things, right? Because they would worship Artemis. And so they would sacrifice animals to her and they would idol worship to her. But they also have temple prostitutes in there because she was also known as the goddess of fertility and the hunt. And so if you needed to get pregnant, you would go to this temple. If you needed things, you would go to this temple. And so these people would worship Artemis and, and, and Diana, they would worship these other gods. And, and, and so they come from this kind of stock. Like this city is, is known for its immorality. It makes Las Vegas looks like Disney World. <laughs> and and it's, it's just a horrible place. It's a dark, dark place where God has placed these people to be a light and to shine. But he's saying, you've forgotten why you're here. You've forgotten to shine. He goes, I have this one thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. And so what is this idea of first love? Well, as we read in Revelation, you'll see a lot of Old Testament brought into the Revelation. Actually, Revelation is going back to the Old Testament. And so we're going to go back and forth to the Old Testament and Revelation to understand some of the imagery and some of the words and some of the things that, that Jesus tells his church. Because remember, he's writing to people that would understand this. We see in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, I'll give you a second to turn to that, but it's also be up on the screen for you, this idea of first love. And so in chapter 2, Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, So it's like Jesus is giving Jeremiah this letter to give to the people of Jerusalem. He's saying, The Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. You followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. So, so Jeremiah is telling the people, You've forgotten your first love here. Like, remember back when you used to follow Jesus without any, like, whims? Like, you would go wherever he asked you to go. You were in the wilderness. You had no idea where he was leading you, but you trusted him, and you loved him, and you did it because he, what he's done for you. He said, remember that first love? Like a, like a bride? How many of you are married? Then <laughs> you can raise your hand. Like, some, yeah, some of you are married. Right. What was that day like? Like, I remember when I was married, and my wife walked down the aisle. What was that day like? Like I could see it in her eye. I could see the tears in her eyes, hopefully good tears, right? It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> Not those tears, but good tears. And, and I, I could see her, and she was beautiful to me. And there was that first love, that first love. It's like, I cannot wait to spend the rest of my life with this person. And when you're first dating as well, you want to know everything about them. You want to get in their life. You can't wait to go eat. It doesn't matter where you go. You could go to McDonald's and it's a good time, right? You don't have to take them anywhere fancy. It's just about being together with that person. 
And, 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 and God is reminding the people here through Jeremiah, just go back to that. Go back to where I am. Go back to that first love. And he's also telling the church here in Ephesus, go back to that first love. Somewhere you've forgotten the love you had at first. And the love you have at first will always keep you coming back to the source of that love. Because when, I, when, I'm, when I'm engaging with the Lord, there's something that makes me want to get more in his presence. I don't know about that. I don't know about that with you, but the, more I'm, the closer I am to the Lord, the more I want to be with the Lord. The closer I am with my family, the more I want to be with my family. So, so true love, first love, is the thing that keeps us going back to the source of that love. And so Jesus is that love. And so he's telling the church here in Ephesus, come back to your first love. Come back to me. Make sure you're doing all the right things because you've forsaken something or you've abandoned something. This word abandoned means to purposely leave behind. Like someone would abandon a child at a fire department or something, right? They, they purposely left that child behind. And, and so he's saying you've purposely left or abandoned your love and not only that, you've picked something else up. You, you've picked up doctrine and you haven't picked up your love. He's like, it's good you got doctrine. It's good you got theology. But, but you've left the love that you had at first and you've picked up these other things and, make those, and made those things the main things and haven't made my love the driving force in the church. And so what love is he talking about? Is he talking about love for Jesus or is he talking about love for people? Because if you do a little investigation on this letter in Ephesus, you'll see many theologians think that it is the love for Jesus or the love of the gospel even. But it's also, other people will say, a love for people. So which one is it? Well, it doesn't say exactly, but I believe it's both. Because you cannot love God without loving people. And you cannot love, and so you have to love God and you have to love people. Remember, that's a commandment. And so somehow these people in Ephesus had forgotten their first love. They abandoned it and they picked up something else instead of the love they had at first. And it didn't drive them. It didn't motivate them. It didn't move them. They had all this knowledge of God, but they didn't use it in the right way. And I want to tell you, knowledge is of no use if it's not influenced by relationship. You have to, I can know all about my wife, but if I don't have a relationship with her, then there is no intimacy, there is no relationship. I have to know all about, I don't have to just know about that person. I have to know, I have to work with that person, right? And so Jesus is telling the people, you're doing all these great things for me and it's awesome. I'm glad you're doing all these things for me, but you have failed to do things with me. How many of us do things for the Lord, but it's been a long time since we've done anything with the Lord? Like we haven't served anybody. We haven't talked to anybody about Jesus. We, we, we haven't gone with him and said, Lord, what do you want to do today in my life? What do you want to speak to this person? Who do you want to speak to through me today? So often we get so busy doing things for the Lord, we don't do anything with him. And I think this was the case with the Ephesian church. Maybe they got a little forgetful. Maybe they got a little uh, proud of their knowledge or proud of what God's done in them. They lived in this horrible society that was so anti-God, much like the world we live in today. And just like them, we can look at people who are outside of the realm of Christianity and say, well, there's something wrong with them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to give them the love of Christ because look what he's done in my life and 
they're not accepting it. And so instead of trying to figure out what's missing in their life, we start pointing out what's wrong with them. And as a believer, my job is not to point out what's wrong with people. It's for me to come and find out what's missing in their life. And most of the time, it's a relationship with Jesus. And, and if we're not careful, we can be kind of like the Ephesians, and then we can start uh, trying to um, condemn people for the way they're living. Come on, I'm guilty of this too. I'm guilty. Sometimes a thought will come in my mind. I'm like, you know what? If you didn't make these bad decisions, if you weren't making the wrong choices, then you wouldn't be in the problem. You wouldn't be having the issues you're having right now, right? Or, or you know, <laughs> the things you're doing, you know, it's out and out sin, and you're wondering why God's not blessing it. And that that can come into my my mind, and that may be the facts. That may be truth. But if I approach that in a way that's unloving, it's not going to land well. And if I'm not careful, it can harden my heart towards people. And, and then I don't give them what they truly need. I start pointing out what's wrong in their life, and I don't give them what they truly need. I see this active in my own life, and I'm just picking on myself because I don't want to pick on you. When you're driving through town and you see the person out there, you know, got the sign up. And you got money in your pocket, maybe five bucks. And instead of giving them that five bucks, you look at them and say, you know what? They're probably in that reason. They're probably just going to use it to go buy drugs, go buy alcohol, whatever. Or maybe, you know, if they just straightened up and got a job, this wouldn't be an issue for their life. And we go through all the things in our minds and, and we blame and we condemn and we try to figure out why, what's wrong with them. Instead of just giving them the five bucks and praying for them and try to give them what they truly need, which is Jesus. I can be, I can be like that. I'm, I, this, this message has really convicted me to the point where like, it's hard to preach because I know I'm not here. And as, as we read these letters to the churches, I, I pray that as we read these letters, you see maybe yourself in these things. And I believe that the Lord left these, such a, uh, left these things so wide open so that it would speak to individuals, not just churches as well. Because individually, I need, I need to not forget my first love. And so how do we know? How do we know if we lost our first love? So here's some signs. I kind of gave you a couple there. But here's some, here's some signs that I wrote down. Number one, when you no longer see people as someone Jesus died for. When you no longer see people that Jesus died for, like again, it's just like what I talked about. You see what's wrong, not what's missing. You, 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 you try to condemn and you try to figure out where in their life they went awry instead of trying to help them up. As believers, we're called to, to pull people up, right? To call them up, not to point them out. It's easy to point out things in people's lives. It's much harder to pull people up. As believers, we're called to pull up and not to point out. Second thing, when you love coming to church, I'm picking on you now, you're all in here, and working in the church, but it's been months since you had the burden to pray. As, as ministers, we fall into this a lot. We, we, we study for the church, but we don't study for ourselves. We, 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 we pray for the church, but we don't spend time with the Lord. And, and many of us are even guilty. It's like we get so busy doing things for God that we don't do anything with God. We don't have a burden to pray. We're just going through a religious motion. Every, every week we come down and we sit down in the chairs and nothing changes, nothing moves. 
I'm, I'm just as far away from God as I was from the beginning. You know, as a pastor, that's the thing that haunts us more than anything, is that people that sit in the chairs every week and they're unmoved by the gospel, they're not changed by any way, there's no life change going on in their life, and you're wondering why can't they just understand and do something with this? And that is a part of our hearts being hard. Like we've forgotten our first love. It's, we make church all about the church or church all about a social event. We don't, we don't come to church to, to be blessed, yes, but also to be a blessing. People say, well, I don't need the church. Well, you don't. The church needs you. They need your love. They need your care. They need you to come in and speak life because you know what? God's done things in your life. Maybe the person that's coming through the doors need to know that. And so we can harden our hearts and lose our first love by making church just something we do, something we go to instead of being a part of a people that love us and that we can love back. Number three, when preference takes place over presence. What does that mean? When I'm more worried about how the worship was than how my, my heart is towards other people or God. When, when the music's not hitting right, <laughs> when, when the lyrics aren't right, or man, if they would just play that one song, then I could worship, right? If they would just play that one song, why do they got to play all this new stuff? I mean, we sing an old one, or, you know, it's sad. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a 20-year-old song. That's how old you are, okay? Open the eyes of my heart. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's sad. Don't, don't remind me. I'm not that old. But I remember that song. And, you know, man, if, if they would only do this or if that preacher would just preach on this or if, if he yells loud enough, then I'll get excited and maybe something will move. Or, you know, we have preferences and, and we're not about presence. And we're not seeking him. We're seeking other things and we can get caught up in that. And I'm telling you, maybe you've lost your first love. If when you, when you, even when you go and you spend time with the Lord and you can't, Enter in because there's so many distractions. Those things are vying for your attention and your heart. Maybe you've lost your first love. When your theology hardens your heart toward other believers who see it differently. Man, we see this more and more every day. When things in Scripture that aren't clear, you, you argue about it and you, and you take sides about it. And it's not really a matter of salvation. It's not really a matter of, of any like hardcore doctrinal thing. It's just something small. And in and, and the church over the centuries, we've built camps around it. We've built denominations around things. We, we've built uh, these other things that kind of insulate us from fellowship with other believers because, well, this is the way I see it. That's the way you see it. We're never going to see eye to eye. We, we, never, we don't talk about these things anymore. It's just like, this is my truth. This is my truth. And we're not going to talk about it. And there's no love anymore between the church between the people. You know, I, I'm super glad that we as this church, and, and, and there's a lot of churches in the area, that we come together and we talk, and I have a, I have a great conversation. I have great um, friendships with some pastors in town. And we talk and we pray for each other, and, we, and we're not outside of denominations. And, and, and it's just a beautiful thing, and that's how it should be. It's not about one house. It's about the kingdom. And we, and we can't be separated from this. And, and too often we kind of take sides on things that don't matter. I mean, come on, we just had this issue at the Super Bowl. 
You know what I'm talking about? That he gets us ad? If you're on social media? Come on, that, that really made me, I was like, are you serious right now, guys? The Lord would be, this would be the letter to the people? It's like you forgot your first love. You're making this thing more than it is. Look, I get the issues with the ad. Like, I see their points. But also, the problem is, is we had one camp over here saying, well, Jesus wouldn't do that with those people. And you have the other camp, well, Jesus loves everybody. Yes, yes, I get it. I understand all this. But there, at, at every, I'm trying not to get too excited. But, listen, no, listen, I'm not going to rail here. But, <laughs> I'm not going to rail it. But there was no love at all in any of those conversations. There was no, I, I had to turn my, like I deleted Facebook off of my phone for a few days because I couldn't take it anymore. There was no love at all in those conversations. And the sad thing is, is it didn't affect believers because they believe what they believe. The sad thing is unbelievers see the disunity in the church and like, I don't want to be a part of that. And, and, and what did Jesus say? You will know we are disciples by how they feel about, he, you know, ads. You'll, they will know his disciples by how well they argue on Facebook against each other. No, he says, you will know they are my disciples by their love for one another. Look, we're not going to agree on everything, but we can lovingly have these discussions and we need to have those discussions. It's important. But when we forget first love, we build camps and our love for each other deteriorates and, our, and also the gospel loses its power. I love, there's a story about John Wesley and George Whitfield. You probably don't know who those people are, but they were great men of faith back in the day. And they had great ministries. Uh, Charles Wesley was also one of the founders of the, of the Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Movement. And George Whitfield was a powerful uh, speaker. These two were actually friends for a while, but then uh, they kind of had sharp disagreements because of what was going on in the gatherings. Like these people are being a little bit too charismatic over here. Charles, that's what George would think. And then Charles would tell George, well, these things are, this is what God's doing, right? And so they had these sharp disagreements and their friendship kind of dissipated. And Charles wrote George Whitfield a letter, and in the letter he said this, we loved more when we knew less. I think it would be good for us to know less and to love more. I'm not saying to be ignorant on things. We need to know doctrine. We need to understand scripture. But when our knowledge allows us to put people down or to, or to fight somebody right over the truth, that's not love. Love is first. We have to have truth and we have to have love. And they have to be married together. Jesus walked around in what? Truth and love. He was the fullness of both of those things. And the church is called to be full of truth and love. I heard one pastor say this once. He said, all truth without no love is like doing surgery with a battle axe. And then he goes on to say, but also all love with no truth is like doing surgery with a butter knife. It does no good either way. And we can't beat people down with the word. The word is not meant to be a weapon to be used against people. 
It's a weapon that's used against what? Powers, principalities of the unseen world. It's not to call people out. It's to call them up. It's to, it's to put in, into those people what's missing and not what's wrong. Because when you take love out of the equation, you lose every time. It's not about winning an argument. And if you're married today and you're trying to win the argument with your spouse, you win, but you both lose. Because there's no winners in marriage, or there's no losers. Actually, you both lose, you both win. You're one. So stop trying to win the argument and start loving the person that's across from you, even if it's hard. And he goes on to say, there is a cost for losing your first love. There's a cost. Well, what's the cost? He goes, he goes on to say, I have this against you, abandoned first love. Remember the love you have at first, or I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. There's a cost. If we lose our first love and we don't come back to it, Jesus is saying, I'm going to remove the lampstand from its place. Last week, we talked about who is in the midst of the lampstands. Who is that? Jesus. His presence. And so he's telling them, if you guys don't get this right, I'm going to take my presence away from you. I'm going to remove your lampstand from shining because you're not shining anymore. You're not going to have me go with you. Have you ever been in maybe a church or maybe a group of believers and like the Bible study is amazing, like it's really full of knowledge. Maybe you go to a church and the worship team is like phenomenal. And I mean, it's good here, but I mean, I'm just saying like you go to another place or maybe you go to a Christian concert and, and like it's, it's talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then the preacher gets up and he, he's really good and really full of charisma or riz for you younger ones. Right. And, and, and he's, and you see him and like everything is good and it's hitting at all cylinders, but there is not one ounce of the presence of God in that whole place. And, and he's saying, if there's not love, if I'm not the first thing, then my presence is not going to go with you. And you're not going to be effective anymore because what you're doing is actually hurting my name instead of propelling my name to these people that need something. And so Jesus is telling him, I'm going to take my lampstand away from you. I'm going to take your lampstand. I'm going to put it to the side. My presence is not going to walk with you. And this church is going to die. And unfortunately, this is what happens to churches when they die. The love is gone. I've been in those churches. I'm on a presbytery committee. I go to churches sometimes that are hurting, and I see it. And like, these people don't have any love. Like, they love the church. They love what the church is about. But they don't love each other, and they don't love the pastor, and they don't love the people. And that church dies because it becomes about preference. So he's taking the lampstand away. So what do we do? Oh, man, this is hitting me hard. What do I do? I've, I think I've lost my first love. How do I get this back? Jesus gives them some steps to get it back. So here's how we get it back. He goes on to say this. He goes, first thing, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember that first time you got saved? Well, hopefully you only got, you know, the first time, right? It's the first time's the only time, right? But remember when you, when you got, first got saved and you gave your life to Jesus, what was that like? Maybe go, for some of you, it's way back, right? For me, it was like 18 years ago. Right? And, and, and go to that moment where Jesus found you. 
Remember that love that you had. Remember that love that you felt. Remember his overwhelming presence in that moment, urging you to, to maybe go to the altar or say the prayer or answer whatever was going. Maybe you were just sitting out and somebody told you about Jesus and you gave your heart to him. What was that like? What was that love like? How did that manifest out of your life? For me, the, when I first got saved, like I went home and I would pray all the time, like pray loud until my voice was shot because I was, I was so excited about what Jesus did in me and I wanted that for everybody else around me. And so I would pray for my family. I'd pray for my immediate family. I'd pray for my neighbors. I would, I would be so excited about what Jesus has done in my life and my neighbors probably thought I was crazy because I was loud. And I'm pretty sure a few times I, I prayed in tongues so it was even weirder for them. But it was, just, it was just what God had done in my life, and I couldn't wait to tell people, and I would call people. And this, this love for God drove me to do something with my faith. And many of you, man, go back to that moment where you first gave your life to Jesus. He's saying, go back, remember how far you have fallen. When was your love for Jesus at its pinnacle? When was it just so evident in you and in people's lives Go back to that moment. Remember all that he's done. Remember where you've fallen. But also remember the condition when he found you. Where were you when Jesus found you? For me, I was in a hole. Like I was addicted to things I shouldn't be addicted to. I wasn't treating my wife with respect. I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't pastoring my kids. I wasn't leading my family. I was all about me. I was in a deep, dark hole. I was in darkness. But Jesus came and he pulled me out of that hole. He pulled me out of that pit. He gave me a new life. He gave me strength. He pulled that addiction out of me. He started teaching me how to love my family, how to, how to, how to minister to my family. He, he called me out of a seat over there, hard, hating the music, hating the pastor, here only because my wife told me to be here. And now he brought me up to here. You know, that's what God does. Remember, remember how far you were when Jesus touched your life and what he's done in your life. I think we forget. Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he reminds the Ephesians, the same church. This is 30 years prior to this letter that in Revelation, he reminds them in Ephesians 2, 1 through 13. He goes, guys, remember where you came from. Let that, let that propel you to give love to people and love for Jesus. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and of your many sins, I was dead, but now I'm alive. If you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, you were going to the brothels, you were going to the temple, you were going to all these places in Ephesus that you shouldn't be going, you were, you were casting spells, you were, you were doing all the sorcery that these people in Ephesus were doing, you were doing all these things, remember that. You're serving the devil. And he goes on to say, the commander of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, Paul included, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So you are an enemy of God, but God did something to make you his heir. And so, but God is so rich in mercy, so rich in mercy toward you, that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. 
It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's it. Nothing you do. Jesus did all the work. You just have to accept it. It's by his grace. For he raised us from the dead and along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So he's saying he took you out of the lowest pit and he brought you to the highest place. You, are, you don't realize this, but spiritually you are seated right now with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. You are to reign and rule with Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this later in Revelation. Jesus didn't just save you to go to heaven. He saved you so you would be with him. You're seated with him in heavenly realms. So God can point to us in the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus, God saved you by his grace when you believed. So what, how do you get his grace? You got to believe it. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so he goes on to say, this is the issue. This is maybe the false apostles that were coming in and trying to cause division and revelation. And so he's warning them ahead of time. He's saying this, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. So the people in Ephesian church were Gentiles mostly. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. We see with the early church, the big issue was to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew. And Jesus came and he said, no, you don't have to be a Jew on the outside. When you become a believer, you become grafted in on the inside. It's nothing you do on the outside that makes you a Jew or makes you a Christian. It's what you believe. And he goes, now, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promise God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. If you're without God, you're without hope. I see it all the time in people. If you're without God, you are without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. It's a beautiful thing that God has done for us. He goes, remember how far you've fallen. Remember from where you came. Remember what he's done in your life. Because here's the thing. When you remember where you came from, it brings you back to your proper posture or proper place in him. When I think about all he's done, it drives me to my knees. And I can't help but think. I can't help but pray. I can't help for, but love other people. It puts me in a right posture towards him and other people. So here's something you should probably do. You should go home today, maybe tomorrow, find a quiet place, get some pen and paper. I know some that's foreign to some of you all, pen and paper. <laughs> but get some pen and paper and maybe remember. Take a moment and remember what Jesus has done in your life. I guarantee you it will begin to spark something, a dead ember, and it will spark it, and your first love will start to rise up again. And then he says, now that you remember, repent. Ooh, that's a hard word. We don't like that word, do we? Repent. 
And I think it's because we've always heard it in a negative context or we've heard it in a judgmental voice. Maybe it's the guy with the sandwich board on, you know, in Fort Worth or somewhere around there. And he's like, repent or die, repent. The kingdom of God is near. You know, we, we hear that word repent and we, we draw a negative thing to it. But in reality, the word repent is the most beautiful word in scripture. The word repent actually means to change the mind. The Greek word here is metatineo, which means to change your mind. It's just change your mind, change your attitude. Change your attitude and thought concerning sin and righteousness. Now that you remember all that I've done for you, now that I remember where you've been and, what I've, and, and where you are, now use that to change your mind. Come back to me. It's like the prodigal son. It's the most beautiful uh, parable in Scripture. Right? He, he goes and he runs away from the father's home. He, he, he runs and takes the money from his father. He spends it on wild living. Maybe he went to Ephesus. Right? He, he, he goes there and then he runs out of money. There's a famine, so he starts trying to earn money by slopping pigs. And he can't earn enough money to live. And he looks at the pig slop and he says, this looks really good. I'm hungry. And then he comes to his senses. He repents in his mind. He changes his attitude. He changes his mind. He says, it's better for me to be a servant at my father's house than to be here by myself eating pig slop. And so he runs home. And, and, and much in the greatest part of that story is when he runs home, his father doesn't condemn him. His father doesn't put him down. What's he do? He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his shoulders, some sandals on his feet. And he has a party because his son that was dead is now alive. This is what Jesus does. I don't, maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you've ran away from God. Maybe you, you, your first love is gone and dead. I'm telling you, all you got to do is repent, come back to him, and that's his approach. He's not mad at you. He's sitting here going, come back. You've done, you went down a road that I'm not on. I'm just waiting for you to come back. And I'm going to accept you. I'm going to bring you back in, and I'm going to lift you up. Change your mind. Change your position. And you will get close to him. Maybe you're not close to God because you haven't changed your mind on things. Maybe the first love is dead because you're heading in the wrong direction. Your attitude towards God is wrong. Your approach to God is wrong. Change your attitude, change your posture, and you will get close to him. And then he goes, third thing, do the works you do at first. He says, just redo the things that you were doing. You were doing good stuff at the beginning. Go back and do that. When I was first dating my wife, what was the things that I would do? And I need to do this, so I'm like talking to myself, right? I would buy her flowers. I'd write her cheesy letters, right, cheesy poems. Yeah, I, I would do anything I could just to um, shower my love on her and vice versa. And, 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 and those first things that we did, it was because we loved each other. And Jesus is telling his people, and he's telling this church in Ephesus, he's telling us as Waterhouse Church, do the things you were doing at first. Like, like do the things you were doing. Tell people about who I am. Go and proclaim the gospel. Love these people. Pour into these people. Do what you can for people, but do it because I'm with you. Don't do it for me. Do it with me. And then as you... Do things for him again. You pick up those things you did at first. There is something that happens that just causes your love to reignite. 
Maybe in your marriage today, I'm talking to married folks today. Maybe it's dry and it's like the embers are like there's just a little bit of smoke and that's it. Do the things you did at first. Make a date night. I mean, that's simple. Go spend some time together. Get away on a weekend. Buy your wife some flowers. Make sure they're nice flowers. Don't go. I'm not crashing on Albertsons, but don't go to Albertsons. Get some nice flowers. Right? My wife loves Albertsons flowers, but go get some nice flowers. Go do something nice for your spouse. Do the things you did at first. I'm telling you, that love will reignite for God. Many things I was thinking about. I still got a few minutes. Things I was thinking about this week while I was reading, because this, like I said, this really, really touched my life. And this, this passage really revealed some things in me where like, man, I've really lost my first love. I thought about things I would do when I first got saved. And I'm like, man, I don't do that anymore. Because instead of seeing those people as someone who Jesus wants to touch and wants to give life to, I sometimes see them as a bother. Like I don't have time to do that anymore. I want to do that, but I don't have time to do that anymore. Back then, it didn't matter if I had time or not. Right? You take time for things that are important. And so take time for things that are important. Jesus is important. Your marriage is important. Take time for those things. Because the more you get to know Jesus, the more you're doing those things, the more you're, you're redoing those things for him, the more you're going to learn about him. The closer you get to him, the more you're going to become like him, and you're going to learn to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. He goes on to continue. He says, unless you repent, he goes, that, this I have for you. This is good. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's saying, you love the things I love, and you need to hate the things I hate. Now, does God hate the Nicolaitans? That's not what he said. He says, I hate the works of the Nicolaitans. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks at a different church, what the Nicolaitans were. But he's saying, we don't hate the people. We hate the sin that undoes people. I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't hate you. You may be sitting here thinking, Jesus hates me. He doesn't hate you. He hates the sin that's undoing you. And we as people of God, we need to look past the person and look at the influence that's influencing the, the person. What scriptures say, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against what? Principalities and powers of the unseen realm. We don't fight people. We fight the influence behind the influence. We got to learn to love people. We got to learn to love what God loves. God loves people. And he hates the things that undo them. And so we can then approach people in the right way. We can love them to Jesus. Scripture says it's the kindness of the Lord that draws men into repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws men into repentance. That's Romans 2.4, if you write that down. And that's something I've had to really learn. Like I said, you can't battle axe somebody into the kingdom of God. You have to show them kindness, and you have to show them mercy. So what do we do with this? I think we need to go back and think about that first time when you first experienced his love. What did you do with it? What did you do with his love? And today, maybe you've never experienced his love. Some of you in here 
may not even know who Jesus is, or maybe you've heard about him. You know him, but you don't know him. You, you have a form of religion, but you have no relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't die for you just to have a religion. Jesus died for you so you would have a relationship with him and the Father. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is why Jesus died. He didn't die for you to go to heaven. That's part of it. That's a bonus. He died so you would be with him and that, and that he would, in fact, put heaven in you. And maybe today, and I'm just, I'm just going to, this may sound harsh. I don't want to sound harsh, but I love you enough to tell you this. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus out of fear. You heard a preacher speak. Maybe you heard somebody say something. Maybe it was a parent that if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. And your motivation was not out of love. It was out of fear. That was me when I was younger. I heard a message, and I'm like, Mom, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds horrible. And I said, what am I supposed to do? And she led me in the sinner's prayer. I'm not here to debate if I was saved at that point or not. But I just know it was much later in my life when I truly surrendered to Jesus that my life changed. Because it was out of love and not fear. And maybe today you, gave, you, you said the prayer and it was because you didn't want to go to hell. And you, and you, or maybe you just wanted to go to heaven because some family members up there with Jesus. And you want to see that family member again. And you could care less if Jesus was up there or not. But I'm telling you, if Jesus is not present, it's hell. It's hell. And so we, we don't come to faith to get to heaven. We don't come to faith to keep from going to hell. We come to faith in Jesus because he offers us something that we cannot get anywhere else. That is eternal life. And that is a life that is truly life on this earth and the next. Because in this earth, if you give your life to Jesus, life is not easy. You still got problems. And I'm telling you what, when you give your life to Jesus, you're probably going to have more problems than you had before. Because now we have an enemy. And now we believe something that the rest of the world thinks is ridiculous. But even in that, we have patient endurance. And we love people that hate us. And we serve those who belittle us. And we see what's missing in people, not what's wrong with people. And then when we do that, here's the promise. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to you. To the one who conquers. This is the one who gives their life to Jesus. I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He's restoring all things. This is what he does for you. So I'm going to get the altar team to come up, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to I close with the scripture passage. But I'm going to challenge you something. Christian's going to play a song here in a minute. You may not know the words, and that's okay. We've played it a couple times, but it's a song Christian wrote, and I've asked him to play it because it talks about first love. But today, maybe the fire is out in your life, and you need to come to first love. You've been remembering the whole time I've been talking, but now it's time to repent. And so it's just changing your mind. And the best way to change your mind is to change your posture. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, come speak with one of these people. 
the altar team, they're, they're trained. They love you. They're not going to tell you anything weird. Okay? They're ministers of the gospel. We may have some in the back as well. And if there's any other altar team in here, we're probably going to have a, a lot of people come up. So if you, if you're, even if you're not scheduled, would you just come up and help pray? Any other altar team members? And maybe today you need to give your life to Jesus. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you say a prayer. But I'm going to ask you to come forward and to pray with one of these people. Because they're going to lead you and they're going to help you and they're going to teach, they're going to show you the next steps that you need to take. Or maybe today your marriage is really rough. And I'm going to ask you to take your spouse and walk up and let these people pray for you as a statement saying, from now on, I'm going to remember, I'm going to change my position, and I'm going to redo all the things that I need to do. So, Father, you know who needs this. You know who needs to come up. I pray that you would draw them up by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would not be, that they would be courageous, that they would not be fearful, and that they know that you love them and you see them and you've called them. And you want to be with them forever. So, Father, I thank you for that. So I'm going to read this prayer for you. And then I'm going to let you come up while he prays this song. And let the song minister to you as well. Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And he's writing and he's praying for them. And this prayer is something we, we use in, our, in this church. This is our prayer for you. If you go to our Next Steps class, which is coming up really quick, you can sign up for that on the QR code. But we pray this for you because really this is what we want to see God do in your life. And this is what Paul wanted to see God do in the Ephesian life, church. And he goes this, he says this, when I think of all this, this is all that Jesus has done. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything on heaven and on earth. I pray for you that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. I love that we have to have power to understand his love. This is amazing. Like it's so incomprehensible. We have to have power to understand his love. How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. I pray that you come in and you experience his love in a way you've never had before. People all the time come out crying and go, I know why this is called Waterhouse Church. Yes. <laughs> Though it's too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He's come to give you full life and power. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power to work within us. We're doing things with him, not for him, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray for these people today, Lord, as we sing this song, that we'd remember our first love, that we would repent and we would put our feet to action and come get prayed for. Lord, I pray that, that we would redo the things we did at first. God, that you would... Give us courage to go speak to our neighbors, courage to speak to the people around us, God. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for not putting you first. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you, Father.
We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name.